Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitchmaladies. As ever, I'm joined by Sid Lowe to talk over what's happened this weekend in the world of Spanish football. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, how are you? I'm okay, I'm back ill again as I was telling you off air. I'm really uh, really quite terrible patient because I tell everybody that I'm ill constantly and I tell all the listeners to our lovely podcast whenever I've got a slight little tickle of a cough or whatever. You are the first guys to know about it, so I'm feeling incredibly sorry for myself. Um, and you're just a hero who just, uh, you know, ploughs on, irrespective of any kind of illness. You cannot be stopped, Sid. <laughs> the Spanish football terminator. One, one day I will be stopped brutally in my tracks. <laughs> in your tracks. But until that day, let's talk about Spanish football, shall we? Uh, this is what happened on match day 25. Friday night saw uh, Villarreal and Getafe play out a, a 1-1 draw. Uh, Saturday uh, saw Atletico Madrid rest Antoine Griezmann, play Marcos Llorente up front and beat Las Palmas by five goals to nil. Very convincing victory for Atleti ahead of their Champions League last 16 uh, first leg with Inter Milan. Osasuna beat Cadiz by two goals to nil. Ante Budimir with his 12th and 13th league goal of the season. He's quietly having a, a really tremendous campaign. The striker they call the Swan. I don't know who they is because we never call him the Swan. Yeah, apparently I've, they I've, call him the Swan. I've never been aware of anyone calling him the Swan. And I'll be honest with you, he doesn't look yes. much like a Swan. <laughs> I mean, he's got a long neck, I suppose, sort of. He's got a long neck and, and he can be quite graceful in the air. Yeah. Um, but swans aren't really graceful in the air. They're graceful on the water. Right. Okay. Like when a swan flies, all right, anything that flies is grateful. Grateful? Graceful. And grateful, actually. Um, but it's really on the water that a swan is, 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 is the, the epitome of elegance and gliding and, of course, underneath the feet are flapping. Well, at El Sadar, that's where, that's where Budimir the swan was gr- uh, graceful. Against the Cadiz side, who haven't won in five and a half months uh, and are looking absolutely doomed, uh, despite only being three points from uh, safety. They're only three points from safety because Celta Vigo were beaten 2-1 at home by Barcelona, a game that Sid was at at the Estadio Balaidos, which you'll tell us all about uh, in just a moment. And then Valencia and Sevilla played out a rather disappointing goalless draw at Mestalla. Then on Sunday, uh, Sydney was also at Vallecas to see the mighty Rayo Vallecano hold Real Madrid to a 1-1 draw, second time this season that... Real Madrid have been unable to beat uh, Rio and the first game in charge for Inigo Pérez, the new Rio boss, uh, getting off to a, a good start. Granada and Almeria played out a 1-1 draw. We thought this might be finally the game where Almeria <laughs> get their first win of the season. But oh no, Granada equalised uh, in the late stages to make sure that it finished 1-1. Both of these sides looking pretty doomed as well. Uh, Mallorca were beaten 2-1 by uh, Real Sociedad at Son Mosh and Betis and Alaves played out a goalless draw at the Benito Villamarín. Betis are beginning to enter a rather worrying period of drabness and poor results in terms of their play uh, and their actual results. Monday night could actually be the best game of the weekend. It's Athletic Club against Girona at San Mamés. So that should definitely, definitely be worth watching. I uh, want to tell you about what's going on on our Patreon because our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP, well, they got a brand new episode of Rincón Cultural last week. It's the uh, podcast where Sydney, Al and I discuss the wonderful cultural quirks of living in this uh, fantastic uh, country. We also take your uh, questions on the cultural aspects of uh, Spanish society. As always, there's a Q&A pod answering your questions every Tuesday. Uh, there's a bonus pod talking Champions League, which is going to be out on Thursday as well. And we'll soon be recording 
recording a new episode of TSFP Presents More Super Seasons, looking back at another fascinating season in Spanish football history. So join us. It's around four euros a month and we think it provides pretty good value. So let's start with the two games that Sid was at this weekend. Uh, you went up to uh, a city that you very much like, Sid, uh, one of the most underrated places uh, in Spain, the wonderful Galician metropolis of Vigo, the Estadio Balaidos, to see Celta and Barca uh, play out what was a, an interesting game. Um, I mean, you messaged us during this game, Sid, once again, not for the first time this season, saying Barca aren't very good. Yeah, there was a period in the second half after after Celta had scored and Barca went through about, I don't know, maybe, maybe 20 minutes or so where it was really dreadful, really chaotic, a complete failure to get control of the game. And in a way, it's encapsulated in a moment when Jules Koundé takes a throw in right down in his bottom corner and just gives the ball away and, and Celta almost score. And there was just a kind of, a sense of kind of collective collapse for for about 20 minutes now I'm not going to go so far as to expand this to the whole game but I don't think there was a period in at any point in the game really where I thought Barcelona were good I thought they they dominated possession in the first half but did it relatively slowly I don't think they created sufficient numbers of chances to suggest that they really should have scored more goals or even any goals at that point um, in, until the Lewandowski opener there was a few moments when when um, Vitor Roque had opportunities in his first touch kind of let him down and you think well maybe if he gets a better first touch there they do get in and they do get that that opportunity that they're looking for but I didn't think this was a good performance at all and then I think in the second half there was a big chunk of the game in which Celta not only deserved to be level but might have got themselves into the league and didn't and then of course got caught with a 90 second minute penalty. Uh, that was the uh the story of the game, uh, I guess. Uh, Barcelona uh, taking the lead right on half-time. Robert Lewandowski scoring after some lovely work from Laminia Mal. Yago Aspas uh, equalising just after half-time with his 11th goal against uh, Barcelona. He loves playing against the Catalans. And then Lewandowski scoring in injury time with that penalty after a pretty clear foul on Laminia Mal. Lewandowski had to retake the penalty, which he initially had saved because Vicente Guaita was well off his line when he made that save. Um, listen, I guess there are a couple of positives here for Barcelona in so much as Lewandowski is back scoring and Laminia Mal continues yes, to is. be a really, really good and exceptionally young uh, footballer. But but overall, Sid, we, we don't seem to have seen this reaction that Xavi was convinced that he's seen um, following the announcement that he's leaving at the end uh, of the uh, season. We've had four matches and they've taken 10 points from a possible 12. So the actual points haul isn't bad from those four matches. But it's a 1-0 win over Osasuna. It's a hard four and not overly convincing 3-1 win at Alaves. It's a 3-3 draw at home against the Granada side, who are one of the poorest teams we've seen in La Liga in recent years. And then it's this injury time penalty win away to Celta Vigo. So it's not exactly a set of... Uh, results that screams catalyst or reaction uh, from from Barcelona. Um, is it a little bit jarring to hear Xavi continue to think that his side have done okay when everybody else can s- clearly see that they're not playing particularly well? And is it even more jarring, Sid? Because obviously Xavi Hernandez knows much more about football than you, me, everybody listening to this podcast and probably everyone who's even contemplated looking at a spherical object in the history of the world. He does. (laughs) However, 
When he says stuff like, uh, you know, I think we played well, I think we did uh, well today, I'm happy. And when he says things like, according to big data, we'd be leaders in terms of chance created, which may be true in terms of those that data that he's passed and the XG, they do have the highest XG and highest XG per game in La Liga. Um, is it not a bit jarring to hear that, particularly yeah. after a game where they didn't create that much? No, and, and that's true. This game, they didn't really create the chances. And, and actually, you know, my first, my first thought when we were, we mentioned this off air earlier on today, he listens to us. <laughs> because this comes literally three days after you delivered those um, expected goal statistics, which do suggest that Barcelona are creating as much as they created last year when they won the league. As you rightly said, that and in terms of expected goals and also expected goals against, they could well be in a position where they were top of the table. And it is true they are missing opportunities. Now, what we did when we talked about those figures the other day is that we, and, and maybe this is a cop-out, because sometimes when the statistics help you, you go, yeah, there it is, there's the proof. And mm. when they don't match the eye test, you kind of go, ah, but it's the eye test and let's, you know, let's nuance these statistics and let's mould them to what we think we're seeing or, or, or let's t- say why we're not convinced by them. But we're not convinced by them. And as we were talking about the other day, there are elements of expected goals that don't capture everything. It's mm. the nature of the kind of chances they're giving up. And obviously, of course, we talked about what's happened in recent weeks, although actually you, you provided the, the expected goal stats for that. And, and it's not quite as dramatic, the collapse, as, as I must confess, as I thought it would be in recent weeks. Because, of course, in recent weeks, if you look at their results, they've had the the free the free one win against Alaves. Okay, fair enough. But they conceded five against Villarreal. They, con- they conceded two despite winning against Betis. They conceded um, two against Almeria despite winning, four against Girona. And, of course, then we saw the, the, the game against Real Madrid in the Super Cup where they got absolutely battered as well. So you're looking at it thinking, this really doesn't match what we're seeing now. The other thing is that if we're going to look at it through the prism, as Xavi is doing, of this being a reaction and a positive reaction to his announcement that he was going. Well, you look at it and you say, well, OK, look, the announcement that he was going came off the back of that 5-3 against Villarreal, and that is dreadful. But before that, the 4-2 against Betis, the 2-1 against Las Palmas, the 3-2 against Almeria, the 1-1 against Valencia. Now, these aren't brilliant results, but they're not massively dissimilar from what they're doing now. We're not seeing anything that's not that really and truly is not what happened before. And you mentioned those teams, and I, I actually was looking at the table as you mentioned them, and I wrote them down. Those are the teams in 11th, 12th, 19th, and 17th. Mm-hmm. Right? To be perfectly honest, you bloody well should be getting this number of points against those teams. Yes. You really should. And, and look, let's put the caveats in here. Let's put the nuance in here, which is to say that Xavi says these things. Saying these things is not the same as believing them. And I understand why Xavi might feel a need to say some of these things publicly, to defend his team, to protect his players, to talk about... Because obviously he doesn't want to be saying... And to protect himself as well, in truth. He doesn't want to be saying, well, I announced this thing and it's been rubbish since. Because, of course, the only reason to keep him is that you, you were saying you got the reaction to see it through yes. to the end of the season. If yes. you now say, well, to be honest, we haven't got the reaction, you yes. might as well be knocking on Laporta's door and saying, come and sack me. Not least because Laporta himself... Uh, it's the word I'm looking for hasn't helped. I think it probably those probably are the words I'm looking for because Laporta himself has said publicly we only accepted this formula because it's Chavi. Hmm. You know that's that's not a man who's absolutely committed to keeping him till the end of the season, is it? Is it no, no? Certainly not. Is there any reading of this when he says about the big data stats and you know we're creating all these chances and they're not sticking them away? Is there any reading of that that he's maybe you know trying to defend his work and? Sort of criticise the yes. player, so you know. Yeah, it's not it's not me, it's you. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I, I, I'm not going to push this this version of events too hard because I think it's true that he has on occasions basically pointed the finger at the players. And he quite often says post-game, and this was something we were working on, which mm. expresses his frustration mm. and expresses the idea that, look, I dealt with this. And put bluntly, these bastards didn't. Right? <laughs> now, it's not quite as clear-cut as that. And the reason why I say it's not quite as clear-cut as that is that if you listen to what Xavi has said all season, he has said loads of things. So, yes, he can point be, be pointing the finger at the players, but there's been times when he's talked about other things that they've got wrong. And so I think it's just one of many, many, many things that he's churning out. Over the course of the season, there's been so many different elements to this. Um, so I think, in part, it's just a man who actually kind of hasn't got a huge amount to say has to try and say something to sort of get himself out of it. I think you're right. I think there is an implicit, inbuilt, and we're all human beings, kind of attempt to protect himself or to defend himself or to say, look, I've been doing this work, and I think he's done that. And I think the players probably don't appreciate that very much. Um, But obviously part of the point of this is he's going at the end of the season. So what's the point of rebelling now unless you really do think this is unfixable? And that bringing someone else in, Rafa Marquez obviously at this stage, would fix it. So I understand all of those things. Um, just briefly, to pick up on something you said, you prefaced all of this by saying, Chavi knows more than all of us. And everything we think when we look at this is, look, really and truly, we don't know anything compared to him. Hmm. And this is one of the, and you said, is it not jarring? This is one of the really disconcerting things about this. So I spoke to Chavi post-game at the weekend. Um, this isn't a boast, it's just part of the job with, with ESPN. And... There was a moment, and you only get a couple of minutes with the manager in those scenarios, and it really is a, a real kind of rush thing, and you, you feel under a lot of pressure, and you've not, nearly always got someone there saying, cut, 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 you know, finish it, because he's got to speak to other people as well. There was a moment in that when I said to him, I asked him about, after the goal, this period of chaos that I've mentioned to you already. Hmm. I said, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you kind of respond when, when it feels like things are crumbling a bit, and to, to kind of get everyone back in line again and get, you know, kind of resist that pressure during the minutes when you're not very good and then kind of find your way back into the game. Good question, Sid. And, and he, he looked at me, and this is what he said about it feeling jarring and feeling like you don't know anything and feeling like you're a complete idiot, even if what you're watching just doesn't fit with what he's saying. He looked at me and just said, no, we played okay. That didn't happen. <laughs> and... <laughs> I admit, and I've said this many times, pitch side behind the goal is not a great view of the game. No, it's not. It's and not. it was pitch side behind the goal, the goal that Celta are attacking. So maybe the sense of a threat is, is heightened because you're right in front of it. Mm. You know, and you think, oh, they're close. They can shoot from here. And mm. maybe it's not as clear cut that they can shoot as you think it is when you see it happen. And there's one pass, by the way, that Aspas tries to thread through a gap of three players in the six-yard box. Mm. And it's passing it straight at me. And I, I saw him do it and thought, you genius. And it just hmm. got cut out, cut out the last minute. So that maybe felt more dangerous than it really was. Because I must admit, when I watched it back on the replay, I thought, ah, that was never really getting through there. Hmm. But when I watched it coming at me, I thought, oh, that's amazing. And it didn't happen. But when Chabby said, no, it didn't happen, I must admit, I kind of shriveled up a little bit. I thought, yeah. oh, um, okay, okay then. then. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and yet afterwards, of course, talking to colleagues, and again, we're journalists, we're not the best judges of this. All of us were kind of saying, does he believe this? Hmm. Is this real? And I suspect that part of it he does, part of it he doesn't. Um, and, and I think in part, you know, we just have to accept that a manager has a discourse, even if we can't see it, he's got to try and avoid certain questions. And I think that's what's happening now, to be honest with you. 
Uh, quick word about Celter as well, who saw uh, Barry Aspas come back into the uh, starting eleven, having been on the bench for uh, the last couple of games. He uh, produced a really brilliant performance off the bench last week at Getafe to uh, create Celta's two goals, was rewarded with a starting berth and scored. I mean, it does seem quite obvious uh, if uh, Rafa Benitez is listening, and I know he's an avid, avid listener of the podcast. Rafa, play your best player. Come on, you've got to play him. <laughs> I mean, this is, to be honest, what I what I think every time. I mean, because because Aspas changes everything. Now, in Rafa Benitez's defence... Yes, they've got some good results without him. No, well, that actually wasn't going ah. to be the defence I was going to offer up. But it is okay. true. They got the 3-0 without him yeah. uh, at Osasuna, which is, I think, probably their best result of the season. Their best result, maybe not their Easily. best performance. Yeah. On the counter-attack, really, really incisive, very good indeed. No, the defence I was going to put forward is, is the following. We're in week 25. Uh, Aspas has had a red card, so he could only be available for 24 weeks of the season. He's actually started 20 of them. So this idea that we have, and I must admit I have it too, that Benitez isn't playing him, to be fair, he actually is. It's just because he, he usually plays every single game Exactly, the fact he's missed four well, seems exactly. ridiculous. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would play him every minute of every game as well. I, one thing I will say about watching Barry up close, by the way, hmm. is he does lose the ball a lot. Mm. Um, but he loses the ball a lot because he's trying to make passes that others don't even see. And I, and I think his overall contribution is so great that, yes, personally, I would back you on this. And I would say this to Rafa every time. <laughs> Put this guy in your team because he's the best. Uh, good. I'm glad we're on the same page there. Uh, let's move on and talk about what happened at Bayekas with uh, Real Madrid dropping two points. To be held 1-1 by uh, Rai Vallecano, potentially league, oh, Sid, and we didn't even touch upon this, you know, Iliga is their league, is their <laughs> league, because Real Madrid are, are only six points ahead of Girona, who, if they win tonight, um, could cut the gap to three and could still be on, and Barca are only eight points, but I mean, it doesn't feel like there is a huge amount of league but there is still potentially oh, no, no, there, some, uh, some league there is yeah. in theory and it did make me laugh when El Mono Deportivo went for the I Liga this morning I just thought oh, it's yes. brilliant it, it takes so little for that for that one to come out uh, yes. and, and actually Ancelotti said post game after the Rio game so look a 1-1 draw here is, is a good result and I think yeah. he's right over the course of a season obviously in the short yes. term you do have that thing where you go wow Girona could be back within one game of them if they win tonight now here's some reasons why not Girona won't win tonight hmm well, I mean, I'm not saying they won't. Okay, I, I just said they won't. And I'm, I mean, you did, I literally you did just, just I literally, say that. Yeah. Literally just said, I mean, they might not. It's away. It is away, isn't it? Or is it home? It's away, isn't it? Athletic. It's, it, it's away against Athletic, who are unbeaten yeah. at home since yeah. August. Yeah. So it's not very likely. I also think if it goes to three points, it's still three points plus the head-to-head goal difference in Real Madrid's favour, which is obviously unassailable now. Uh, 7-0 aggregate score over the two games between them. Uh, I also think it's just look at Real Madrid and the quality of the players they've got. And Vinicius is back and admittedly didn't play well this weekend. So, yeah, there's a bit of league. Um, yes. But I, I personally wouldn't be going for the I-Liga headlines, albeit uh, they're not the only ones, to be fair. I think both um, both Ass and Marker did variations on a theme. Not quite, but but variations on a theme. I think Ass's was Madrid, Madrid sleep a siesta, La Liga wakes up, something like that. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about this uh, game, Raya 1, Real yeah. Madrid 1. Now, Sid, I want you to uh, imagine a hypothetical uh, scenario here. So imagine mm. there yeah. is a podcast, okay, mm-hmm. hosted mm-hmm. by an extremely charismatic and uh, very attractive uh, Hellenic man. And yeah. Yeah. coming on that podcast is also an extremely intelligent, erudite other man, non-Hellenic. No, no, it's and me today, not Al. 
<laughs> but um, and, Im- and imagine if in this hypothetical scenario that the uh, Hellenic man had had missed this game, he wasn't yeah. able to attend despite having uh, season tickets uh, for the mm. aforementioned uh, match. Uh, what would the uh, erudite and intelligent man say to the Hellenic uh, presenter about uh, how this game <laughs> went down? <laughs> yeah, a completely hypothetical situation. Yeah, in this hypothetical scenario in which um, aforementioned erudite man borrowed aforementioned attractive Hellenic man's season tickets and took his son, um, he might say, well, funnily enough, my son said, that was a good game. I really enjoyed it afterwards. Ah. And I mean, I wasn't actually as convinced. It wasn't great. Um, I, mean, I did actually watch the game subsequently. I was sort of flying yeah. back today and I saw it. And it, I mean, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't amazing, I didn't no. think. There, there, wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount of chances. I think the, the response from Raya was really good for a couple of reasons. Obviously, one of them is just the context. And the context is that this is a team that's only won one in 14, that's lost six of the last eight, that had lost the previous three in a row, that has only won once at home all season. That was what, back in September? Long time ago. Now, I don't want to overplay this, and they're under new management, um, but with, under their old management, they also got a point at the Bernabeu. So it can happen, and they've got a pretty good record at home against Vallecas. Hence, Ancelotti saying that actually one one's all right. But Real Madrid go one nil up after three minutes. With a chance for Raul de Tomas, who just takes too long to get the shot away. Madrid get the ball clear. Within eight seconds, they're at the other end and they score. And then you think, ah, this is it. They, they batter them now. And actually, for about 15, 20 minutes, I thought Madrid were pretty good. They controlled yeah. the ball. They created a couple of semi-chances. Not really good chances, but a couple of opportunities. And you think, yeah, OK, this is only going one way. But I th- felt that Rio... Um, recovered. I felt Raya were prepared to press quite high. There was a little touch of the Andoni Adala Raya there. I don't want to overplay that, but a little glimpse of it at times. Then in the second half, I think what we saw, and actually this was borne out by what Inigo Pérez said post-game, was a Raya side who had decided that some risks are not worth taking hmm. and had decided to play a little bit deeper. And actually, uh, Inigo Pérez described the game as sucio, literally dirty, but it doesn't mean dirty. I don't think he meant it dirty in the sense of kicking people, but dirty in the sense of stop, start, you know, get your hands dirty, have to fight for the ball, make it about Jules, have the intensity and the aggressiveness to stop Real Madrid, uh, to play a little bit deeper if you have to, and then occasionally go longer rather than try to bring the ball out from the back. And it was noticeable, for example, that Ari Dani wasn't playing the ball out. The only one of the two was Lejuen, and he was tending to go diagonal and quite long. And so I think what you saw was a really good response from Rao, considering where they've come from. Um, and so I think very definitely reasons to be optimistic from their point of view. I think from Real Madrid's point of view, this is kind of chalk it off as a draw that's okay, get on with mm. it and forget it quite quickly. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it was also kind of, it's kind of like to be expected really well not to be expected but it felt like this game sort of was a bit was over after when Rio equalized yes. that was it i mean not a huge amount happened afterwards not a huge no, amount and that, and that's and I, to say that that second half thing of it being of being really stop start and it was mm. almost it was almost like everyone accepted that that was the case yeah i mean without tony cross in the starting 11 and without jude bellingham i mean they're two very important players for for real madrid in terms of uh, creativity and and goal threat and uh, yeah, they were missing. Uh, Danny Carvajal's going to be missing for the next game as well. He's suspended after getting sent off right at the end. Camavinga's uh, also going to be suspended uh, as well. Let's see if they recover any kind of centre-backs uh, for this game because they were still playing with uh, Aurelien Tramini uh, as an as a auxiliary centre-back alongside uh, Nacho. And their uh, injury problems continue. But yeah, overall, not a terrible result for, uh, for Real Madrid um, in the in the grand scheme of things, 
Atleti, this 5-0 thrashing, uh, Sid. Uh, no Morata, obviously, in the starting eleven. He's injured. No Griezmann, who got a little bit of a rest, uh, given that they're playing in the uh, in the Champions League. Um, and yet, Marcos Llorente scores twice, playing alongside uh, Angel Correa. Correa, who was also uh, very, very good indeed. So, just generally a, a fantastic day for uh, Atletico Madrid. Great result. And once again, we're seeing this ludicrously stark contrast between their home and away form. Yeah, I, I quite liked actually Garcia Pimienta's response post game, which was to say that every season you have one, one, one stupid game, one partido tonto, and, mm-hmm. and this was our stupid tonto, game. Yeah. Um, I think there's an element of truth in that. I, I think Las Palmas aside, who who dominate possession and actually had quite a lot of possession in this game, not as much as maybe some mm. games, but a lot of it, but were very, very open. Um, the the Llorente thing is is really quite interesting. Obviously. Famously, he did it at Anfield and scored twice. <laughs> now he's done it again and scored twice. Doesn't play there very often. I think it was designed basically because of the injury to Morata, who actually is back in training. So I think there's a mm. half a chance that he plays in the Champions League this week. I don't think it will happen, but I think there's half a chance. Um, but it was pre- Champions League this week. It is this week, isn't it? Surely not. It's Wednesday, isn't it? it? Is, or is it Tuesday? It's, um, it's on Tuesday. I mean, oh, it's, it's Tuesday. I think it's probably not right. You know, if it was Wednesday, I would have said there was half a chance. Because he joined in the full session on Sunday wow. after this game. Um, wow, okay. But I, th- I think probably not. And I think obviously what Simeone is looking at is, A, you've got to give Griezmann a break at some point. And it's quite nice actually because both came, Simeone said, well, yeah, and he'll still probably be pissed off that he didn't play this one. Um, but mm. he, he needed a break. And I think we saw that in recent weeks. And actually Simeone, who'd complained a little bit about the fixture list, had said that he wanted to prepare this game by resting players rather than by working them. Uh, I think... It's, Llorente playing up front is really just a, a, an experiment. But I think it's an experiment that he might think, OK, I wonder if we can repeat this. I wonder if there's moments when we can do this again. Uh, Correa is the obvious mm-hmm. other choice. And really, it's about protecting uh, Depay, who came on and played a little bit and scored really quite nicely taken goal and, and making sure that everyone is fully fit for the Champions League, Antoine Griezmann in particular. Very good performance. As you say, at home, they are genuinely a really good team, which makes it so hard to judge what's going to happen in the Champions League. Because I think Inter could do them over. But I also think, I, I think mm. this is the only Champions League tie of all of them this round where I genuinely don't have a sense of who the favourite is. Mm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go along with that. Yeah. Um, we'll see how Aledi get on in, uh, in Italy. They have been really, really quite poor on the road. But at home, they've been excellent. Not just winning games. I mean, they're unbeaten all season in the league at home. I mean, scoring goals yeah. as well and entertaining yeah. and generally being uh, uh, pretty good to watch. So uh, uh, let's see how they get on uh, in the Champions League this week. Uh, this week it is Inter against Atleti on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Napoli against Barca. What a monumentally big game that is for uh, Barcelona. Fortunately for them, they um, potentially have been drawn in the last 16 against uh, the only yeah. side who are in a more challenging uh, position than them, uh, I think, with uh, uh, Napoli dwindling and dawdling in uh, ninth position yeah. in Serie A, Sydney, the uh, current uh, Italian champion. So let's see how, how Barca get on. Uh, in the Segunda División, leaders Leganes beat Alcorcón 3-0. They're four points clear of Eibar, who are second. They drew 0-0 at Elche. Espanyol are third. They beat Mirandes 3-0. And there were no other results of note. Definitely not, no. De- Oviedo definitely didn't score five. I mean, Oviedo beat Burgos 5-0. Has that, have they ever won a game 5-0? I don't think I've ever seen them score 5. I think the most I've ever seen them score live is 4. 
I do remember in Sigourney B, they put eight past someone. Was it Bethin Daddy or one of those teams? But I don't remember them getting five. I mean, they must have done at some point, but I can't think of one. Yes. Yes. Okay, well, uh, we'll see uh, if that ever happens again. But, uh, congratulations <laughs> to all Obiadistas after enjoying that manita. Uh, listen, we're going to leave it there. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, we're going to be over at patreon.com forward slash TSFB for the rest of the week. Loads of terrific, even if we do say so ourselves, Spanish-related uh, content, Spanish football-related content. So come and join us there. Uh, if you fancy, it's around four euros a week. And if you don't, we'll be here next Monday, as always, with a free pod. Adios. Cheerio.